So the first question we ask everybody who come on the show is, when you first got to the league, who was the first person to bust your ass? Let me hear it. You know what's crazy is, I don't know if he was the first, but somebody who busted my ass every time was was Sam I Am, man. Sam Castell. Two-point geese. And and we would always have our scouting reports. And and the way Utah worked, where Coach Sloan was, like, everybody had somebody that was assigned for the scout. Right. So you would have to, before the game, basically go over the scouting report, tell them what what their tendencies is. You had to memorize the stuff. And so the one thing that they had in there, do not fall for his pump thing. I don't know. I don't know if y'all play golf. It's the same thing with golf. When you say don't hit it in the water, don't hit it in the water. Chances yeah. are you gonna hit it in the water. Yeah. Man, listen, I was in foul trouble every game I played Sam my rookie year. <laughs> and his pump fake, his back to the basket game just killed me. Yo, yo, yo. Live on location. Me and the blackest one are here in Orlando, still staying our asses at home. This week we got a two-time Olympian gold medalist. A legend in this game did big boy things, big boy numbers. Put it on your favorite point guard. Please believe it. We got Darren. Don't call me Deron. <laughs> Dean Williams in the building. <laughs> yes, sir. From Parkersburg, <laughs> West Virginia. I didn't even know that. Yeah, <laughs> then they say you down there MMA, so you down there wrestling and stuff at first. So, how was that growing up in Parkersburg, West Virginia? Well, you know, starting off wrestling. Yeah, so I, I only lived in Parker. I was born in Parkersburg, lived in Williamstown, West Virginia, was population like two thousand. So then, everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody. But my kind wasn't common there, let's just say that. Right. And so we ended up moving. My dad was actually from Pittsburgh, and my mom my mom and him met playing basketball at West Liberty State. But I ended up moving to Dallas when I was four. And I don't know what. I think my, my uncle wrestled, you know, growing up, and he wrestled in the Army. And she came out. She said she came out one day and asked me if I wanted to wrestle. And I was like, all right. I'm four years old. I don't know no better. I was like, all right. So... She signed me up, and I went out there. My first match against a dude that, like, all his brothers wrestled. Like, it's, that's their family's wrestling family. Man, right. kid, man, put me on the ground so quick, pinned me, and I was crying. <laughs> and for the rest of that year, I cried every two and had to drag me on the mat. She's one, she's one of the moms, like, I pay for this. We ain't got right. no need to, to wait to finish it. And so you're going to finish it. And she literally dragged me on the mat every match for the rest of the season. And, and I basically went out there and got my ass whooped <laughs> every match. And then All year. A whole year. And then the, the next summer, she she asked me again if I wanted to wrestle. And she thought I was going to say no right away. And, she, and I said yes. And it was a whole different story from that from that moment on. That some, I don't know, something clicked. But that's how I got into wrestling. Not a lot of people know that. But yeah, I wrestled for now, the only reason I stopped wrestling is because of basketball. Once I got to high school, same season, so you can't do both. Was you crazy into WWE? Well, back then, WWF? Yeah. yeah. WC- 
Like, yeah, now that was oh, see, that yeah. was when it was Prince, like I don't watch it. I can't even watch it now. I think it's it's a joke. I can't either. I hated I can't eat. I used to be prepared every Monday to watch wrestling. <laughs> man. Like some us, oh man, man. I used to like yeah. Royal Rumbles, all that stuff. I never missed the pay-per-view. And then once I got older, it was like, man, where did it go? Where did the I, love go? I gotta send y'all. I was Macho Man a couple of Halloween's ago. I gotta send y'all the costume, went all out for that one. Oh, okay. I definitely gotta see that. Hey, the craziest thing ever though was when they the WCW invaded or whatever when it, when Nitro and all that and Hulk Hogan them just came as one. I was like, dude, this is this real? The network's going crossing over. It was like, hey, yeah, I got my N- I got an NWO shirt in the uh, in the closet right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, NWO. Everybody joined that joint. They was loaded. Yeah. <laughs> Green team. Yeah. So tell me this, how was it when you, you know, you moved, like you said, you were in West Virginia where, you know, your kind isn't really accepted. How was it when you, you know, moved from West Virginia to Texas? How was that culture shock to you to be, you know, how how much different was it? I mean, you know, I'm so, I was so young that I didn't really know. You know, you're four years old. You ain't really, you ain't even, you're just a kid. You're not even thinking about right. that. So I didn't really know. It wasn't, so I, I actually would go back every summer with my grandparents as soon as, like, school was over. They would drive up from West Virginia, pick me up, and then drive me back, and I would stay the summer with them. And I did that every summer until eighth grade. Because, you know, when you get eighth grade, you're like, man, I want to get around my friends. Like, even though I had friends there, it wasn't the same. And it wasn't until them later years that I started realizing stuff. Like, oh, yeah, I am. I am different. People treated me different. People, it's crazy because my, my grandfather and my uncle were both racist. And then when I was born, my grandfather, he changed. But my uncle, he he didn't. He was kind of, and I remember him saying little slick stuff to me when I was growing up, stuff that I didn't really understand until I started getting getting older. I mean, that was the biggest thing, I think, once I started realizing that. And that was like the reason why I didn't want to go back anymore for the longest time. Mm. Because of, I started realizing how I was being treated. From a kid, like, in seventh, eighth grade, being that young, like, how was that for you to see, like, that was in your own family, like, that close to you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's tough. I mean, it's it's tough. And it's tougher now to think about when you when you look back and you think about it, you know, what your relationships could have been like or what. My actual relationship with my grandfather was really good until he passed. And then my uncle, actually, he, he started turning the corner. Once I, I think, I think me being successful in basketball, and then he started watching, and then he started liking. Like he was, he was wearing like Luther head jerseys, so I knew he he changed, you know, the corner. But at the same time, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's just frustrating to see that's how this how society is, man. You know, and you see the climate of, of how things are right now. Absolutely. So, so when did you start putting the ball in your hand? Like, who brought the ball to you since you was in wrestling? Like, who mom, brought it to you? Like, my mom played. My mom played in college. She played in AIA. That's where my her and my dad met. And I didn't really grow up my dad, but my mom, she was always into basketball. My I had cousins who played college basketball at some smaller schools. And so we were kind of a basketball family. And so, I, think, I mean, I got pictures of me on the little hoop two years old, you know. Right. And then basketball was always my first love. I played yeah, everything yeah. growing up. Any You know, whatever the season was, I was going to do it. That's how, you know, I was just one of them kids. Whatever, football season, I was football. Soccer, I wanted to be Pele, I, you know. The Mighty Ducks came out. I wanted to be a hockey player. I ain't never been on ice in my life, but I was ready to be a I was ready to be a Mighty Duck. So, but basketball was always the one. So when you got in high school, and uh, you know, 
Like, when was it when you felt like, all right, I'm the best player, and, like, this is my team, and, and, and colleges is going to get ready to start, like, sending you letters? You know, for me, it was, like, I think what made me so successful was that I wasn't one of them kids that, you know, I wasn't Darius Miles where I was, like, yeah, he's going to be the one. And I was having a hard time, you know, finding AAU teams to play for, like, in seventh grade. You know, the, the best ones they didn't really want, like, Team Texas, they put me on, like, their second, third team. Yeah. You know, I'm being passed over for guys who didn't even end up playing basketball in high school. They wouldn't play football just because they were, you know, pure athletes. Right. Um, yeah. I always had a good understanding of the game. My mom was always big into, like, passing. I'm playing point guards. So she didn't want me to be out there scoring 25 a night. She would get pissed at me if I was, wasn't sharing the ball. And so I think yeah. that hurt me, you know, early on, but also fueled me because I'm, like, getting passed over by these guys I think I'm better than. And then I went to high school and I played with Bracey Wright. I don't know if you remember him. Played it yeah. at the Wolves for a little bit. So he was McDonald's All-American. Kind of the one that everybody, you know, talked about. So it took me a little more time, you know, like my junior year before people started recognizing me and getting recruited a little bit better. Could it be anybody else? Why Illinois? Why Illinois? Man, so <laughs> my senior year, my top five going into my senior year was Illinois, Georgia Tech, Tennessee, Mar I think Maryland. I kind of narrowed it down to four by then. And 9-11 happened right before all, the, all my visits were supposed to happen. So they all got postponed. So then I'm supposed to go to Tennessee. And a week before I go to Tennessee, C.J. Watson committed. And then I'm right. supposed to go to Georgia Tech. The day I'm supposed to leave, Jared Jack committed. Wow. <laughs> so then I'm sitting here. Illinois was always my number one. They had D. Brown already committed. And I'm like, why am I going to play with this little dude? He's a point guard. Like, why? Like, but he was recruiting me to Harden. I couldn't understand it. He was recruiting me to Harden. He, D was the one that really got me to go to Illinois because I was like, why are they trying to get me? I'm a point guard. Why are they trying to get me? They must be getting me to play the two. And he was like, no, he's the scorer. And D convinced me. But I was supposed to go to Maryland. And he told me, uh, they were like, Gary Williams ain't going to be there. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not going there. And so, because <laughs> they had Steve Blake, too, at the time. With Blake, so I would have went and sat behind him my freshman year. So, kind of Illinois was, was it. And I had never been to the state of Illinois before I, I committed without going to the state. And, and if I would have knew what the winners was like, I don't think I ever would have committed to Illinois. <laughs> no I, didn't, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Yeah, so tell me about that. How was it when you first get to U of I and now you're here and you're seeing, like, you know, you see the team and the squad, but how was that to be coming from Texas to University Champaign, Urbana, Illinois, and, you know, you down there and you with the team? How was that change for you going into that culture? Well, so I graduated, like, the end of May, 17 years old. I don't turn 18 until June 26. And about I leave on, like, the 5th of June to go to summer school. And about a week later... My girlfriend, who's my wife now, called me, and she was pregnant. So mm. Dropped that news on me <laughs> a week right. a week into my freshman year. Right, that changed you know changed a lot. It was like whoa, okay. And then, you know, freshman year, I kind of got homesick. You know, throughout the year, especially because of how cold it when when December hit, I was like, I'm not going outside. Yeah, like, y'all, <laughs> we got to walk everywhere too. I'm not going outside right now. How y'all do this? This is not like people are not supposed to live here. It is. Mm -hmm. And then after my freshman year, 
Bill Self left to go to uh, Kansas. And Billy Gillespie, who recruited me, had just left to go to UTEP to be a head coach before the season started. So, like, the two coaches that got me to go there were leaving. I'm homesick. I just had a baby. <laughs> I was about to transfer. I was ready to go. I was ready to come home to Texas, even though I always said I wanted to get away from Texas. But all the guys, you know, Jarris Howard. Um, Taps. Yeah, he was the one I think that convinced me the most to stay and stick it out, and which I'm I'm very glad I did because it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. How was that talking about Tap? Because I play AAU we both. with Jaren. Man, I just know how man just <laughs> a great teammate, or just a great person. He always like he like the heart and soul of a team, 100%. whether he playing or not. 100%. He's heart and soul of a team. Like how was that to get down there and you you have Jaren's another point guard. Yeah. Like you said, like with D Brown, that's like encouraging. He's nearly not on the competition yeah. type thing. He want to, you know, help you transition, right? So how was that like for that to be like that? Yeah, it was funny. We talk about it all the time. Like I was just talking to Jaren a couple of days ago. And we always talk about practices and battling and going back and forth, the shit talk that we would do. And it just says a lot about his character, like you said. Like he was the heart and soul of our team. D was, but Jaren's behind the scenes was as well. He kept everybody together. He was already a coach before he was even a coach. I think that D and I's freshman year, because, you know, Frank Williams had left. So Jarrett's mind, he's thinking, all right, this is my time. I don't care what these, how good these young dudes is. And so he definitely pushed us that, that our freshman year. He thought he could challenge us. Definitely was mad when we were starting, because we were both starting our freshman year. But at the same time, like I said, he pushed us every day in practice you never see any animosity out of him. Like, I never felt any animosity. I was ready to leave, and he was the reason I stayed. When most people in that position would have pushed me out, they would have been like, my chance. Like, I'll get him out of here. But I don't understand how yet he didn't have a head coaching job yet because he's going to make a hell of a head coach. Tell me how was it for you? Because from the outside looking in, I'm not really knowing who a Darren Williams is. Like you said, I'm like... The Chi-Town boys about to go yeah. in there and turn up. I'm expecting D, Lou, Luther, uh, obviously, you know what I'm saying? We know Taps there. So, from my lens, you came, like, out of nowhere. Like, who's this little light skin? <laughs> like, he the man, though. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was like, because, you know, Chicago people, we going to know who we know and we expect what we expect from them. And you just slid in the middle and was like, the man, though. You was controlling. And I was like, who is this? Why this one, like, 6'4"? He has he playing point? And D. Brown, I thought D. Brown was going to be the point. So, it was like, like, how was that from your lens? I always use that stuff for, for motivation. I remember after my freshman year, I led the Big Ten in assists. And I had a pretty good freshman season, and then Rich McBride was coming in, and I would get on the message boards and see what everybody's saying, and everybody's saying, I'm, you know, basically, I'm not that great. Rich is going to come in. He's going to be the starter. He's the next one. And so I used all that stuff. I mean, nobody knew this at the time, but I, I used it right. as motivation. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I did pay attention to that stuff. I, I read articles, and I always use that stuff as motivation. But at the same time, I thought what made us so successful was I didn't care who got the shine like yeah we knew it was D's team we knew D was the face face of, of, of the team and like you said Luther led the team in scoring but for us it was just about winning and I was happy for those guys and they were happy for me I mean I think that's what made us successful. Bruce Webb what you learned from your freshman year and when coach Bruce came in it clicked your sophomore year to kind of like spread your wings a little bit more. Yeah um 
honestly, we, we didn't click at first. We were, we were struggling. We were struggling the, the first half of the season. We didn't really like his offense. He was running the motion offense, and it was just a struggle out there for everybody to grasp it and understand what he wanted. It ended up being the best thing at the same time because once we did learn that offense, it was perfect for me. It was just playing basketball. It was just us out there playing basketball, out there hooping. It's like almost like going to the rec with, with your boys and running the court. That's what it felt like. You know, we were just out there pick and roll. It was perfect, too, to set me up for the NBA game because it was a lot of pick and roll, a lot of movement. I learned to play off the ball a lot more than I think I would have under Coach Self. Towards the end of the season, we ended up winning yeah, how many games on the road to, to win the Big Ten Championship. But we, we closed out. We called ourselves the Road Dogs because we didn't lose, like, I think it was like seven in a row on the road to win the Big Ten Championship. And then from there, you know, it kind of propelled us into that junior year when we, you know, started off 27-0. and 0. That backcourt that y'all got, like, in the run that y'all made, yeah. was just that was just crazy. What did that year when y'all made that run? So now, you know, I we win a lot of games. Yeah. Like, we should be able to compete with the Dukes in the North we Carolina cheated, stuff. We got cheated in the tournament by Duke. <laughs> by the refs. Let's say the refs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Duke is always, not always, but oftentimes on the pleasurable side of that. hundred percent. hundred percent. What what part of that year did you feel that I might be one of these top players in college? Because, you know, you had them big-time schools and, you know, they had the players on there, so they'd be like, them players yeah. just instant lottery picks and all this stuff. Yeah, I mean. But y'all were undefeated in the Big Ten, you know what I'm saying? And y'all making the push. Y'all not nobody to just kind of look over no more. Yeah, I mean, and you you been like the leader of that. To start the season, I wasn't on any of the draft boards still. And uh, you could just see it like as the year went, went on. You know, we beat Wake Forest and CP. And then I think I was like second round. And then like as the year went on and we kept winning, I just kept climbing and climbing and climbing. And then it really pushed me over the edge, I think, was that, that Arizona game. And then the final four. And then all of a sudden I went from basically not really being on the draft boards to now I'm like top 10. So I'm, like, I'm leaving. <laughs> In my mind, I'm like, yeah, I don't get no better than this. I never, I never, I always hoped, I always felt like I was good enough. I always yeah. feel the same love from, you know, the outside. And then all of a sudden I'm, you know, top five. So, yeah. Sometimes like when that journey, it'd be like, it's unbelievable. Like, it's unbelievable that we're making this run and everything is just, like, coming into place. It's surreal. It, it, like, it, you know, that championship game. I ain't rooted for Illinois since Kenny Anderson now. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, the, that, that championship game that y'all got down there, tell us about that game. Tell us how that game went for you. Still haunts me. You know, it was, a, it was a good game. I think the biggest thing that hurt us was James Augustine getting in foul trouble. He got in foul trouble early. Sean May went like 13 for 13 from the field. Yeah. It's, hard to, it's, it's hard to stop that. It's hard yeah. to stop that, you know. And then we, we had a chance at the end. You know, we had a bunch of looks at, at threes to cut it to three, cut it to two, and just couldn't get the ball in the hole. And that was a good team, man. They, they were a good team. I mean, they had what, four, four or five guys in the first round, drafted in the first round. So it wasn't like we was playing bums. We <laughs> he was playing a stack bar. NBA players. Yeah. yeah. Definitely was. Yeah. Like, tell me, how was it for you? Because, like, that's crazy to hear you say that, you know, going into that year, you weren't even on draft board. Tell me how that went, like, complete 180 from probably no calls to you being, like, after that 
a top five pick. It had to be interviews, magazines, people, agents trying to get at you. Like, at what point for you did that happen? At some point, it exploded. <laughs> it had to. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely that, that last year. I mean, we, I mean, we were number one since, like, the third game of the season. And, like I said, I just kept climbing up those boards, and you could see it. And then, you know, I was getting calls from people who I didn't even know had several, you know, runners or whatever contacting me, but my mom, she don't play that. Or no, she don't play that. So I wouldn't entertain them. I just said, I, you know, I'll worry about that after the season. And, you know, definitely the, the media grew <laughs> around us. It, was, it, it just, it, I feel like it happened so fast that I really didn't have a chance to really reflect until it was done. It wasn't like a constant, gradual build. It was kind of like boom, 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 boom. Oh, this is just happening. Like, I'm just out there we're just out there trying to win games and before you know it we're you know 10 and 0 13 and 0 20 and 0 yeah. it, it, it just it just happened that way didn't draw it up better <laughs> except for winning that last one against Carolina tell me about once you declared you know okay now alright I'm out of here I'm going like what was that experience like following your decision to announce that you coming out you got to pick an agent, got to do all that. How did that process go for you? Yeah, so, I mean, in my mind, <laughs> I was already, like, I knew I was going to leave before the season was over. Uh, just because, like I said, I had already climbed top 10. I'm like, okay, yeah, you got to like while it's hot, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But after the season, you know, I talked to Coach Weber. He's like, all right, well, let me talk to some people and make sure, find out what really is going to happen. And so, he came back like a week later. He's like, yeah, you're going to be top five. So I think you should leave. <laughs> I think you should leave too. You know, like I said, I had a baby. You know, she was almost two at the time. My mom didn't have a job. She was she had been she had been unemployed for like seven, eight months. So for me, it was it was the right everything. Uh-huh. It was the right time for everything. So, um, you know, single mom raising two kids and. My high school coach actually worked for a guy named Bob McLaren, who was his uncle was owns the Astros. He wasn't even in the in the Asian game, but he was really smart, really sharp dude. He was president of Astros for several years, so he knew that you know he knew the insides of the business and ended up being my agent. I just wanted somebody I could trust because I felt like there was just so much going on with these agents that I didn't like, and I just felt like everybody had an agenda, and I didn't want to be a part of that. And so I actually went with them and. Moved down to Houston to train. Finally got me, and I was a little pudgy in college. So I didn't want to say it earlier when I said you came out of nowhere. I was like, who's this little light skinned look? I ain't want to say, you know, I was going to be nice and say a little doughy or something. I yeah. Know, you, yeah. You know. No, it is what it is. I was. I was, man, late nights. I was, everybody else was eating cheeseburgers and, and fries. It just hit me a little different. <laughs> we ain't got the same, we don't got the same genetics. <laughs> Get up on you and start sticking to you. Man, I play with guys. I play with guys in the NBA. They're eating chicken tenders and fries before the game, going out and getting twenty five. If I do that, I'm gonna gain twenty five before the game. That was yeah. us, Gerald Wallace. <laughs> yeah, Gerald Wallace. <laughs> that man never put nothing green in his body. <laughs> but it's a warrior. I'm talking about boy, boy. Alabama to the heart. No, but uh, so I moved down to Houston. I finally got my nutrition right. Hired a hired a trainer and, and started getting ready for the draft. So how many how many 
workouts slash just interviews that you going because you wasn't doing too many workouts. You wasn't going against nobody. You was just getting wind and down and talk two days trying to pick your brain, right? So I went see here. That's the UND Biles treatment. That's the, you know, the phenom, the phenom treatment. Milwaukee had the first pick. I didn't I didn't work out for them because everybody knew they were taking Andrew Bogan. Yeah. I was kind of set in stone. So I worked out for Atlanta, Utah, Charlotte, and Orlando had like the 11th pick. They were talking about trading up. And I, I, I told them I wasn't going to do it, but then my agent was like, no, they're going to try to trade up. So they want you to work out. But my whole thing going in, because Chris Paul was still ahead of me on most of the drafts. So my whole thing was, look, I'll work out with anybody you want as long as Chris Paul's there. That was it. Yeah. I said, like, I'll work out whoever you want. Just make sure Chris Paul's there. Yeah. And so Orlando actually tricked me. They said that he was going to be there. Or no, they said it was just going to be me. And then I get there and it was Ray Felton. Ray Felton was in the workout. So I called my agent. I'm like, look, I'm like, I'm not trying to duck anybody. I'm not scared of anybody. I'll work out with it. But this, you said, like, I, this is what we said. He's like, you know what? Just go ahead and do it. So I went worked out for them too. But those were the four workouts I did. Sound about right. You and D Miles sitting in a little cozy, you know, cozy chairs up there. Right, right. Players got to go take like 18, 19 workouts. <laughs> you didn't have no 18 workouts. Bro, I did like 16. I, I don't remember. It was a high team number. For real? It was the Teams. Well, you know, D Miles, like some people, I, man, I worked out for Boston like three times, bro. They tried to give me a workout the night before the draft. Man, my agent was like, nah, hell nah. Jeff was like, hey, then you didn't sat down, had dinner with him. I don't remember what pick they had, but they wound up taking like Jerome Moiso or something that year. I got picked 18, bro. I was, I was, I did me dirty. <laughs> I stayed one year too long. I should have left after my freshman year. You know, that's another story for another day. <laughs> when you heard Utah, it wasn't just Utah. It was like you going to Utah and you finna go and play for Jerry Sloan. Yeah. Like you thought you had hard coaches in the past or somebody to mess with you in the past. Uh, yeah. And nothing like that Jerry Sloan. So, you know, think of all that. How was when that? I, when, I, when I broke down all the teams that were, you know, those top really two through five or six, whatever it was, that was the team I wanted to go to the most. Because I felt like I had the chance to win the most there. Because I felt like they had a good team who had injuries the year before. And that's the only reason they fell that far. But they had Boos. They had Memo. They had AK. But Boos missed like a bunch of games that year. And so I felt like if I went there, we had a chance to win. And we had a Hall of Fame coach. You know, I didn't know anything about, you know, in depth about Jerry Sloan. You know, I just knew he was a good coach. His system. Like, I hate his system. Like, I hate the cross every hate, time. hate gardens. That's, you damn right we hate gardens. Yeah. Yeah. No other experiences. Like, 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 them wings and watch. When I had Paul Silas. tired like, nah. Yeah. When I had Paul Silas, that was the first time I had to play in his system. The high post uh-huh. where, the, where your, your big man's got to start off on the wing or the free throw yeah. line and all that stuff. He played me at point guard. Yeah. So I was like, man, every time I got to slow down, wait till everybody get in their position, kick it to the side, then cut off the big man. And just to get the big man the ball on the post, I got to come up and screen for him. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I used to run it so perfectly, but when I did, it was like, man, you slowing me down. You know how much dummy offense we did? Hey. I, oh, yeah, I had man. to. Uh, so we would do it. Some days we'll come in, and he'll put me at the five, and he'll put booze at the one. You had to know every. Yeah. He wanted you to know every position so that it was just everything was interchangeable. And that's how 
good we were running. But that's what made it that's what made it so successful is because of how hard we ran it and how well we ran it. I think what you just said is like one of the things that people don't understand about it's like one of the main instruments of greatness. Like you just said, like, you know, Jerry Sloan, Hall of Fame coach, one of the best coaches ever. But what you just said struck a nerve when you said y'all don't realize how much dummy offense we ran. That is where the greatness lies. Yeah. Why you say that he's repetition, repetition, then, oh, okay, y'all got it. Now you play the five, you play the one, you play the four, and then repetition, repetition, like yeah. that right there. And then you can go out there, the result is, is what me and D saying, we hate playing against y'all. Y'all can run that shit with y'all eyes closed behind y'all back where he there when he not there. It's like y'all can coach ourselves with it because he didn't drill it into your head so many times that it's like your muscle memory now. It's quick twitch skills. You just do it. Yeah. I mean, shit, we used to tape for shoot arounds. Oh, yeah. I know about that, actually. And, and, went, and went live. I don't know. I could. I don't know if I could have been 29, 30, 31 doing all that. That was, hey, that's, that's, that is when it came to me, 29-30. I got to Miami in 29, left Miami, was in Orlando. I'm talking about, bruh, never in my whole career, never wore knee braces, knee pads, none of that. I'm talking about first day of training camp, first day, you go in there, they got two sets of knee pads on your locker. I come in like, you know, I'm, a, I'm going on my 10th year. I'm like, oh, no, I'm cool with this. I give them back like, I don't wear these. They hand them right back to me. I'm like, you ain't got to wear both, just pick one pair. I'm like, I don't use knee pads. They're like, you do now. They're like, you ain't got to wear them in the game, but everybody in practice, you got to because Pat Riley had a thing where, you know, how they play and teach and teach defense. It ain't no, you know, you getting over screens, you know, they guys kept bumping knees with the technique he was saying. So he made everybody from everybody, one through 15, whole team got to wear knee pads. And this, I'm talking about this side, it became like that for like, how you say you got to be taped for shooting around. You come in someday, but you got to get taped and a knee pads sitting there. You like, oh. Man, we was, doing, we was doing charge drills in February. We would start, we want to be on opposite sides of the floor at now the half right. court mark, and we had to beat <laughs> him to the spot and take the charge. I'm taking charges on booze in February. <laughs> Bruised tailbone. Like, <laughs> wow, that's crazy. When was it that the offense clicked for you? When was it that you seen Coach Sloan and, like, you knew what he wanted? Because, like, when you click, you ain't just, like, just slowly get into it. You clicked and just start killing everybody. Who were you backing <laughs> up originally? <laughs> Coach, Coach Sloan was fucking with my freshman year. To start this season, Keith McLeod was starting at point guard. And then Milt Palacio. Oh, Milt. Oh, both oh, both of them got hurt. I'm the only other there's me. Gotta start. He started Andre Owens. Ayo. Andre in the other. He started Ayo. Who ain't no point guard. You know Ayo ain't no damn point guard. Ayo is a scoring guard. Straight scorer. (laughs) Oslo was like the first half of the season. He was trying to humble you. It was like but he just wants some uh, he's just he's that old school coach where he's just not gonna give something to somebody. Even if I probably should have had it from the start, right? Mm-hmm. And so I went through about five phases during my, my rookie year. Where I was just like, I, I didn't know what to do. I was about to lose my mind. But so to start out the, the season, I was playing I was playing second quarter and fourth quarters. That's it. <laughs> That's it. 
<laughs> I was so I was finishing game. I was finishing game. Nowadays, know nothing about these OG coaches that we came in with, boy. Like the boy. I mean, all the all the rookie stuff. They don't do none of that stuff now. They don't even allow it. Yeah, they don't pack the book. I we, they don't even allow it. They tell the people before they start doing, hey, hey, no, we're not going to do that. And they, because they don't want anything to happen, they don't want to be on social media and all of this. They don't want to have to deal with a situation, and they making it so weak with that. Because I've seen it in person where they tell them, "Nah, don't mess with them and do all of that stuff." I'm like, "What, man?" We, had, I remember the first we went to Boise, Idaho for training camp. We get off the, uh, we get off the, we yeah, exactly. We get off the, bus. <laughs> we get off the, we get off the no bus. Disrespect, Boise, Idaho. No disrespect to yeah. anybody from Boise. I'm just saying I've been a lot there. of people. Like Hawaii or Navy bases or Army academies, and like some, you know, like I ain't never heard nobody say they went to Boise. That's just me. And we got off that bus, and it's cold. It was a little chilly, and they like, all right, rookies, y'all got to go help with the bags. So we out there unloading the plane and putting it on the bus. I'm like, what? What is this? This is not the NBA. This ain't the NBA. Then we get to the. The hotel, and they're like, all right, we got first practice at, uh, we're leaving at 9 a.m. Y'all need to come down here at 8 and get all the bags. The, That's that gear. Eight, the big, the heavy bag. The bag weighs like 100 pounds with all the gear in it. <laughs> but we got to go just drag that around all up and down the hallways, drop, putting the loops on everybody's door. Knock yeah, door. me and D-Miles did that. Me, D-Miles, and Keon. It was just three of us instead of just one. We had three of us together. We did that. We dropped the gear off of the door. We didn't do that shit. No gear off. We didn't do that shit. Stop lying. We didn't do that. Hell no. We didn't do that shit. Bro. We didn't do that shit. You never wanted to do it. We did do that. We had to do it. He made us do one thing. After that shit, we did that. We did that in Palm Springs. The one thing. I did this the whole year. We grabbed the jersey off that one day. No, 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 no. We never did that shit the whole year. Now, we did. That's what I'm telling you. We did that in training camp. That wasn't a whole year type activity for us. But, like, we definitely did that in training camp, bro. And it was three of us. It was, it was easy because it was three of us. Like, we we was done with it, but you know, ain't but 12, 13, 14 players. Like, three of us, we did that thing fast. Now, we had to carry no heavy-ass bag. We just split it up right there and bam, bam, bam. Yeah, I ain't had to do that I shit. I had to do it the whole year. I do none of that shit. <laughs> Wait up. We wasn't on that shit. We the losers team in the NBA. <laughs> the boys talking about the fuck. No, I'm not going to get shit. <laughs> Y'all can't make me go and get something. With these motherfuckers that lose this team in the NBA. You see how tough he talking? Yeah. You want to talk that tough to Sean Rooks. Whatever Sean Rooks had us do, he did. Yeah, but I, I respect the Sean Rooks and, and Derek Strong, but the rest of them, they were my age. Man, you better get that shit yourself. They the ones that had us do nothing. They couldn't have us do nothing. You remember that? We would fight them. Somebody, like, you got to understand. The core of our team was all under 20. We had Lamar Odom, uh, Oliver Candy, Jeff McGinnis, Elton Brand, everybody was our age. We was all the same age. Ain't nobody about to just just check us now, you know. But like OGs, D Strong with Sean Rooks, all respect. Straight up. Y'all had to like with Sloan, he was was he strict, strict? We had a lot of rules. I just it's crazy. I was just cleaning out something. Oh, a storage unit that I had, man. I ain't I didn't realize I had the storage unit. They had called me like you got a storage unit. <laughs> like you got a storage unit. I'm like, what? <laughs> I went and cleaned it out. It was just a whole bunch of old stuff. My grandma's stuff, my mom's stuff mainly. But I found one of the jazz handbooks. <laughs> to start every training camp, we would go, we have our team meeting. Coach Sloan would be he would 
I, I remember it was like yesterday, man. He would flip through this book and he would have his glasses on. He would be reading and he'd take them up off. And he would be mad about like, it's like we did something wrong, but it's the first, first meeting ever. When he's going over the rules, like he already mad because he knows somebody going to break the rules. <laughs> no, we got to tuck, you got to tuck your shirt and your strings in your pants at all times for practice, game, whenever you're on the court. He'll send you back if you don't have him tucked in. We had a no cell phone rule on the bus. So, on the bus. Couldn't be on a cell phone. So, like, yeah. You want to make a phone call, you had to step off the bus, call. Even when somebody was late for a shoot-around, like, we on the bus waiting for somebody. You couldn't call them on the bus. We had to get off the bus. Hey, man, where you at? (laughs) Wow. Get on the bus. Bro, it's so maybe in the locker room, brother. When I work for the Pistons, I'm sitting there watching. You know, I, you know, when you come in at halftime or whatever, coach is going there to do that little powwow. I'm just sitting there, chilling, just looking around. Whole thing. That's how they come in. They come in like this. Oh yeah, yeah. they on the on the social media. Yeah, the coach coming at you like. see that's the one thing we didn't really have that was before social media like it was just facebook around that time and it wasn't even on your phone so so it wasn't i mean it wasn't a lot you could do besides text on on the phone back then but still having none of that that's what i'm saying that's gangster to hear that he wouldn't even like on a bus bro like that's like come on man sometimes it'd be like a 40 minute boat bus ride from the airport to the hotel you can't even call you talk to your wife say hey we landed we good <laughs> no you can't talk to your kids none of that, <laughs> none of that. Like, like i say when did it click for you when his offense clicked and he was your guy probably after my rookie year my sophomore year because like i said that first year was so much ups and downs and like him you know kind of messing with me playing me you know I finally think I'm about to start. Start, yeah. and I had a little stretch where I kind of got like a little pissy attitude because I felt like he was treating me unfairly, and it was. I think that was him just trying to see how I respond, and so it was right before All Star break, and he had like barely played me in a couple games, like eight, twelve, you know, twenty minutes here and there, just was very sporadic, and so I I went away for I went to you know rookie game and. I came back and I said, you know what? I don't care if he plays me at the one, he plays me at the two. I don't care what he did. I'm just going to play hard as shit. And I think that's kind of where it started to click. Because then shortly after that, then he started me for the rest of the season, like the last you know 30 games of the season. And I think it started to click a little bit there. But then that, that next year, I came back. He had me go to uh, Summer League. And I was thinking I was going to do Summer League. And like after, like I think, two games, they just pulled me out. They're like, I guess we've seen enough. You're good. And I so, do remember that. I do remember that. Yeah. Going into what? that next year. This offense is so unique. Like y'all, y'all the only team that was really kind of running that yeah. that style of offense with the with the guys high. Some teams had it, but that was just like a package and they whole little thing. But what in his offense that you seen that like, oh, I can I could succeed in this. Like, I used to hate when you used to kick it to the wing, and then you, you're all gay. You've been coming off the screen on a high post slow, and then in the fourth quarter, you want to go off extra fast and get you a bunny. I used to hate that shit. So, like, like what in the offense that you've seen that was like, man, I can work with this or I can work with that? Well, I think one was how effectively we, we knew how to run it as a team. But then also, I felt like for me, you know, I was never the most explosive, the fastest guy, but I did have a good change of pace, change of direction. My IQ was really, really good. 
And so I, I, like you said, those easy ones, I knew how to get those little easy ones. I felt somebody like they were trying to cheat the screen because they know I'm coming off the screen. Then I'll just bump back for the layup mm-hmm. or, or yeah. if, like when I, when I go off and I know they're, they're trailing too far, I'll just bump out to the corner and just get a three right there. It was just so many different ways you could break off, even though it was this set plays, you know, that you could break off. And then I had Booz who was really smart at slipping screens. I would come off the screen and he was already slipping. I just did a little touch pass to him. And we had Memo who was – Memo. if Memo was playing in today's NBA, man, he will be max every year, max and then max and then max again. I like Memo. Memo was solid. Yeah, <laughs> You know, like, yeah, he could, he could shoot the three. You know, he was like a, a, a dirt, a light dirt. You know what I mean? Yeah, I felt like it was perfect, the scenario that you went into, like, especially once everything kind of, like, got ironed out and y'all was all hitting on the same sort Because it was like seeing a different variation of what he did with Malone and Stockton. Like, you know what I'm saying? With you and Bulls, like, playing the one and the big man at the four. It was a different variation, but you could see his same impact being put on, on y'all and y'all flourishing under it. Like, did y'all get any of those comparisons with y'all? I mean, he had to, obviously. Yeah, of but. course. Of course, you know. I mean, but it's hard to be compared to, two, you know, them two. <laughs> two of the greatest ever do it, man. And, and their longevity, man. I mean, LeBron barely missed games. I, 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 I Honestly, I, I mean, they just had to be the toughest dudes in the, in the world. I am, you know, they played as many games without missing. Like, I, I, I saw some stats not too long ago on social media about Stockton and, and Malone, like how many games them dudes played and didn't miss games. It was like, shh, unbelievable. Yeah. And you see how physical they played with that. Exactly. And in, in, in the 90s, I mean, that's a – where well, they trying to take your head off. And they, they ain't calling. They know there's no, uh, there's no flagrant twos for accidentally hitting somebody in the head. Mm-mm. Did you have the opportunity to get a chance to, like, you know, pick John Stockton brain and, and have conversations with him about, like, your offense? Before my rookie season, they sent me up there. They sent me up to Spokane, and I spent five days with him. Oh, working right. out. That was, that, it was, it was amazing. Right you know, kind of regret, my biggest regret was not reaching back out to him after and doing it again. It should have it been something that I probably did, like, Every time. Once a year. Because he, like, John's not, like, you, you could tell he's one of those guys who he's not, he's not big into the spotlight. He's not big into the limelight. He just, you know, he's happy in his his life up there. So he's not a guy who's just going to reach out. You know, I think they reached out to him and was like, hey, we want, we got this new guy. We want to send him up there. But, man, I learned a lot, honestly, just in that five days. You know, we, we talked about pick and roll scenarios, you know, basically what to expect from coach you know, put me through several workouts that he used, used to do and, you know, different little shooting drills where he would, you know, shoot off of the wrong foot. It's just little things that, that really helped me a lot, I think, throughout the course of my career. And you get a chance to learn from a guy like that. Yeah, it's just amazing. Carlos Boozer. Yeah. He played with you. A lot of people, <laughs> like, I love Booz. I remember when he was in Cleveland. He hates like, all time. I used to be like, man, you get you 10 and 10, that's like $100 million right there. That's all you need is 10 points, 10 rebounds. But he was so big, and people don't understand how talented he was. He used to use his left hand. He was right-handed, but he used to use his left hand. And he wouldn't be able to finish under the basket if he didn't dunk it or lay it with his left. If he did it with his right, it was like he missed it. And it was like, bro, you right-handed. I never understood it. But how good uh, was Boozer that people don't really give him the proper props? Because they'd be like, oh, he stole this money. And I'd be like, nah, Boozer came from a lot to get to where he was yeah, at. He was average 20 and 10, like 20 plus and 10 
like three, three, four years in a row. Uh, Double double K. Yeah, I mean, no, he had game, man. It was fun to play with in that pick and roll. He had a great feel for the game, like you said. Anybody who comes from from Duke, they're gonna have a good feel for the game. They're gonna know how to play the game of basketball. Don't give Duke that much pride. Don't give Duke that much pride. I do like (laughs) I do like Coach K. You know, I I did play for him. You know, to Olympics. So, although I don't like Duke. <laughs> like Coach K. Uh, Love Coach K. Coach K. Um, but now Booz was fun to play with. Like you said, he's such a good teammate, good dude. He's one of the people just always positive, always smiling, dap you up about 20 times. Like, damn, Booz, and you just dap me up? What's up, Willie? Booz, Booz, that's my guy. 06 07, man. Y'all boys played y'all ass off. I remember watching y'all in the playoffs. And y'all going the distance with the Spurs, you put on the show that whole playoffs and like even I, I can remember even after that series and y'all losing, the Spurs players making it a point to give you your due credit like yo that's a bad boy like you know what I'm saying how did how did that feel for I mean albeit in defeat but to see some of the greats Tim Duncan Tony Parker your peers you know what I'm saying they would go on to be I think they won oh, they won they swept they swept uh, Braun and them. Right, right. That's the year they won. So, like, y'all lose to the eventual champions and you get the kudos from those guys that you got. How did that, that year as an overall, like, cause that was a, a big year for you? Yeah, that was my second year. And I feel like that's, you know, you talk about those moments where, like, the light comes on or whatever. I think that was when my confidence meter hit high, you know, like, where I was like, man, I can, I can really be somebody. Like you said, I mean, that was the Spurs. They were a good team. I mean, they beat us, I think, 4-1, but Again, some real questionable calls uh, <laughs> could have been a little different series. But, you know, I had, I think, Bruce Bowen guarded me a lot that series. And I averaged, I think, 25 for the series. Mm-hmm. It just gave me a lot of confidence, I think, going into that next year and you know, the years to follow. Because, you know, if I could do that against them in the playoffs, in the Western Conference Finals, uh, I should be able to do this anytime I want. Definitely was the biggest stage, put it down. I can't remember the exact years, but it was a, a good three to four year stretch where you and Chris Paul, where y'all had the whole league, who the best point guard between y'all two. And that was your window as like the elite. You 1A or 1B is like best point guard in the league. That's how, you know what I'm saying, your peers. Like I'm in the league at this point playing and I'm in what's supposed to be my prime and all that. And I'm agreeing. I'm like, me and my partners, we talking about it. You know how it is, basketball dudes. We talking about, like, how was that for you to come from where you come from? You know what I'm saying? Not always the overhype to be mentioned and, you know, argued or debated, like, am I the best point guard? Like, how was that for an accomplishment for you? Did you feel like I've arrived? I'm here now, like, they they see me. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I always, like I said, remember I talked about, you know, looking at those message boards in, in college? Well, I did the same thing when I got to the NBA. I was... I was on Real GM and all all that stuff. Just, <laughs> just always looking at stuff. And I, I always use that as fuel. So, like, yeah, I mean, me, me and CP were good friends. You know, we would have dinner when they came in town, when I came in town. But when we stepped on that court, you know, all that was out the window. And uh, definitely enjoyed, you know, playing against him because he, he always pushed me. He was a good competitor. But as far as, like, how did it feel? I mean, it felt good, but at the same time, it's kind of what I expected out of myself. Like, I expected to be one of the best. I always thought I was one of the best, even when I wasn't. You used to do the double crossover. 
And like, it's like every time I do the double crossover, they never go for the second one because I done crossed them and they just still sitting over there. But when I used to watch you, I used to wonder like, man, how is he getting the double crossover off on these folks and you hitting them twice and they going for it twice. When did you add that to your game and where did you get that from? Man, I think it's just one of those things that just kind of evolves. You know, I picked up crossover from AI, but then they started calling carry on that crossover. So then you had to adapt. Everybody I, had, I, had one, I had the one that Steph had. Remember when he used to pick it up high and then go and then like go over, throw it over? Yeah, he yeah. That one too. And then Jay Kidd had to, he didn't have a crossover really in half court, but he had that one going full speed. Boom. boom. <laughs> and like I, I used to study all like all this stuff. In college, we used to play cutthroat a lot. That was like our game. I mean, we'd be, we'd be sitting there playing spades. It's, you know, 11 o'clock at night, about to go, about dressed and ready, about to go out to the bars. Somebody start talking shit. I'll bust your ass. Come on. <laughs> Here we right. go. And we go up to the gym. So we just play one-on-ones. And playing cutthroat, especially with like two, three dribbles, you would learn how to get your shot off, how to create space, how to make these moves with only two, three dribbles. And so one of those was that double cross. It Somehow it just it took effect. You know, it was not something I like really thought about before I did it. It just kind of just kind of became boom. Cause it looks smooth, it's, it's so on rhythm. But you to cross the ball over twice, you definitely got to have a rhythm. Yeah. Tell you to not be off balance. You double crossing, you will come up for a pull up, or you will double cross and go to the rack. And I was like, how the fuck do we get that? Like, I can't get it for shit. Like, don't go for it. You're a seven footer. You're a seven footer. You ain't supposed to be doing all that. Yeah, he he, he, he got to try though. You got to take called unicorn, bro. He was a unicorn for yeah. being all that. You know what I'm saying? He was out there. <laughs> Long was, long did it, How did it feel when you made your first All-Star team in the NBA? Like I felt like it was a long time coming. I felt like I should have made one, maybe two more before that. Yeah. Like back then, you know, you kind of had to wait your dues. It wasn't like these young cats that kind of come in and, and get the recognition exactly early. Exactly what happened. I mean, I was even told that. The reason I didn't make it. Yeah. It wasn't my, it wasn't yeah. my time yet. Young fellas, got a lot more years. We got to make sure, you know what I'm saying? You know, in the NBA, to get an all-star, to be named an all-star, like, to be with the guys that you're watching every year, make it. So how was that for you? It was, it was awesome. It was awesome because it was in Dallas that year, too. So, you know, I was going home. All my family was there. They could come, come, come to the game. And, you know, it definitely meant a lot. Like you said, I mean, it was that stuff when you're a kid, like, uh, they showed a yearbook when we were playing San Antonio because I lived in San Antonio for two years and it asked what I wanted to be when I, when I, when I grew up. And it's, it's NBA All-Star. So mm. that was fifth grade, I think. I finally realized my, you know, my dream, my goal, and was, and was there. That's crazy. 2011, right, we sitting there in the lockout. How did you end up getting a $5 million contract to play in Turkey? <laughs> Like you, you, I don't recall nobody going nowhere for no five milli for the one year. How did that come about? It wasn't quite five mil, but it was it was a good change. It was a good change, you know. I, I, <laughs> I, I money. <laughs> so you know, we had all those meetings that year before where they was talking about the lockout. It was telling us prepare for the lockout. You know, telling everybody save their money, prepare for it to last the whole season. Right. So in my mind, I'm thinking we're just too far apart. This moment, and I had been to the meetings. You know, I had been to the meetings and had heard the owners and how they greasy they was talking to us. And so I'm like, this is going to last a year. It's not, 
and I'm like, I don't want to be out of basketball for a year. And so Jeff Schwartz was my agent at the time. And I basically told him, like, hey, if you come across anything interesting, you know, let me know. Soon after, he came back and said this team in, in Istanbul, Turkey, was interested. And then I, I hit up Memo Kerr. You know, he'd always been high on Turkey anyways. I'd been wanting to visit. So I ended up going over there and playing. Took the whole family over there. And honestly, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and it's something I'm glad I did. Tell me how, because I can only speak from what I see on TV, but are there fans, like, when you touch down, were they going crazy in the airports? Were you able to go places normal with your family and have dinner without fans going completely crazy because you were, you know, an NBA star, a legit NBA all-star playing in their league? Was it like almost pandemonium everywhere you went? So it wasn't that crazy. You know, it's not like LeBron walking around and nothing like that. But they have loyalty to their team. There's three teams. Well, mm-hmm. there's four teams. You know, the, the team I play for is Besiktas, Besiktas. There was Spinnerbache and Galatasaray. So there's these three teams that kind of – it's like Liverpool, you know, Manchester United, right. or Chelsea, right? You're either one of these fans. And, and when you're that team, you're diehard. You don't like that other team, right? right. And so – like, if I was around, like, with Besiktas fans, you know, it, it would be hard to move and, and, and move around. But for the most part, it was it was cool. I mean, it was – I enjoyed it, man. I, did, I, I didn't get bothered so much where it was out of control. It was kind of like being back in the States. It's kind of being in Utah, you know. People were respectful. And then, you you know, every now and then you'd run into, like, a rowdy crew where you'd catch, you know, 20 people that all knew you, and then it was – you know, pandemonium, but they gave me security over there. I had a driver, so I was able to get in and out of places. And, That's dope. you know, they made it smooth for me over there. When you got traded from Utah, was it was just time for a new setting? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the stuff that transpired with Coach Sloan when he resigned, that and, like, I think I had already come to them and kind of led them to believe that I was going to leave. And so I think that's why they went ahead and traded me so they could get get something back for me. You know, looking back on it, you know, it's one of the things where you like you don't appreciate stuff till it's gone. You know, you know, you go somewhere. So you know, I had never really lost in my career. I mean, in in high school, I lost eight games. College, whole college career, I lost fifteen games. And then I go to Utah, and my first year we were forty-one and forty-one. It's the playoffs by one game. So that was my most losses ever. And after that, we won over 45 games every year. Mm. And I get traded and I go to I go to New Jersey. Man. I don't <laughs> yeah, how was that for you? I know there was, was a lot of star power and a lot of stuff, and they wanted it to be your team. And they did, I know there's a lot going on. It's new ownership. It was just a chaos over there. Yeah, man. I mean, it was tough. It, it got to be tough. I enjoyed a lot of stuff about being in New York, about about the Nets organization. You know, I had great teammates when I was there, um, great friendships, all that. But it was tough from a basketball standpoint. For me, I think looking back, I played for four coaches in three and a half years. Yeah. As a point guard, you're talking about a point guard who just came from this system, right, that was just ran perfectly, coached perfectly. And then now I'm learning the new offense, the new players, every single year and there was just no consistency and it was just hard to get into a rhythm, hard to get into that. And then I started getting injured on top of that. I started losing confidence. And so it started eating at me. 
started, I really started losing my love for the game when I was there because it just like it just seemed like everything was going wrong. Um, yeah, and that's the exact perfect wrong place for it to be going wrong in New York. Hundred percent. Tell people that all the time. Like I played four years there for the Knicks. It kind of goes both ways because those fans, while they can be some of the most passionate and best fans on the planet. They're very smart. They they in the know. They know about their team and what's going on with their team. But sometimes they don't have a gauge to see that these are people you're dealing with. Yeah. For me, I, I don't think I would have had a problem playing in New York. Like I, I don't think that was the problem. Yeah, the media was bad and, and this and that. But the thing with me is like, you know, all that stuff that I used to use as fire, I would shut it down. My body wouldn't let me get back to the point where I was at, right? And so then I couldn't be that player I was before. It just I was, I was getting hurt, I was getting injured, I was missing games. I felt like I felt like I'm letting people down because I'm missing games, and it was just frustrating. I tell the young generation about like how you were saying you lost the love for the game, and I was telling them, like when you play in this in the NBA, when it all turned to business and stuff like that, you got to fight for your love yeah. because. Every team I played for was deciding to start over. We finna rebuild. <laughs> and you got to fight for that love, just your love for the game, not depending on anybody else. You got to fight for your own love for the game to keep your motivation to get up and go to these gyms and get up and work out and get up and try to keep your body strong to even be out there to perform at the level that you need to be performing at. Sometimes you be in this moment like, man, I got money and all this shit. These folks act like they don't give a fuck, so I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I did kind of some of the same thing you just said, like in New York. And so my first year, my brother got shot and killed. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I went home, got there and tried to come back right away and just, you know, keep it moving. But I, I didn't, you know, I didn't deal with it the way I should have, I didn't get the help and this and that. So I was dealing with that. That was that was that was in my head bothering me along the season. Then I'm playing terrible, I'm not playing well, like you said. You you know what I'm saying? You feel like you letting people down. Then your confidence is up and now you asking yourself, like, man, what's going on with me? Like, you know what I'm saying? You question yourself. So then it's like, all oh, what is going on? I'm hurt too. You get hurt. Like you say, you're trying to do the things that you know to get you back to normal. When you grind, you grind. So then I have hurt my back. And the same thing. Like, I'm like, it's New York. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't not play, can't not sit out. I ain't about to be the dude they put in the paper talking about he making this much, he ain't playing, he ain't this. So I'm like, the longer I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm worsening my back. <laughs> I'm making my back worse and worse. I like herniating my disc, I'm making it worse and worse. So then I finally get to the point to where, where I can't even sit down on an airplane, sit down on a bus, they got to lay me out. So then I get surgery. I waited all the way up to March to get surgery. And then it's like, you see, like, bro, you should have been did this. Mm-hmm. It's just and it go it go back to what you said. You didn't let New York and everything that's going on creep into your head and into your world. Yeah, the hardest thing is when these stories start coming out, and it's just like it's like that shit didn't ever happen. Y'all just just sitting up here just making shit up. That's when you laugh at it, though. Like at that point, I did four years, so I got to the point where I was able to see through all of the clutterness. Yeah, and I appreciate New York for what it was, but. I think the one thing that where they are misunderstood, because, like, they don't care. You could be terrible, but if they see you going your ass out there and you going crazy, you going all out playing super hard, yeah. they're going to lower your ass to death. 100%. Garden was my favorite place to play. Straight up. Gardens. Straight Gardens. up. Always Man. love the garden. 
It's dirty in the motherfucker in that motherfucker. <laughs> and the but common shit. fans don't like the new these new age fans don't understand why. I remember I seen something on the thing, something on social media. Somebody put like, nah, this they was asking which dunk was better and something. They was like, nah, somebody put in the comment, nah, nah, this was in the garden though. Somebody put like, what do that mean? Why everybody say I said, see, that's that young people stuff. I don't know the history or something, man. Why it mean a little different up in there? Yep. You just feel it when you come up in there. You come from the bottom of the old school elevator and shit. You come up there, you just feel it. It's in the air. <laughs> like, shit, you want to perform in that motherfucker. Everybody want to have their best game in the guards. I don't give a fuck who you are, especially once you feel it. Hey, how was it to play at home in Dallas? I know it was, you know, it was toward the end of everything, but, like, I know that still had to be, like, a, a dope feeling just to, you know, you got your family and everything on deck. How was that for you? Yeah, that was honestly, I, I started to get that, kind of get that love back when I came back to Dallas. Right, right. You know, I, I just, it was just a different feeling in the organization, you know, uh, a lot more stable. I feel like organization, you know, RC had been there for like, seven years. And they were cute. Yeah, yeah. Q has been there, you know, and so it was great, man, being back home. I don't know if y'all know Dirk, but Dirk, good dude to play with, man. You know, yeah. I don't get much better than him, you know. Straight as far as superstars, man, he's just, he's very humble, just, and, uh, you know, I enjoy playing there. I had a lot of, a lot of friends on the team, so, you know, it was good times being back there. How was it to get selected to the USA team and to see your teammates of, like, all right, this is my
And I think that was the best thing about the Olympics, you know, obviously winning the gold medal, but just the card games, you know, the meals, the bus rides, you know, we had, we had two hour bus rides sometimes in some of these places. Just all that stuff was, was just memories, man. Memories that you always cherish. And I saw something about D-Way was maybe coming out with a documentary on that first team, on the Redeem team. Well, I damn sure want to see that. I hope he does that. Right. <laughs> Really I know what I want to ask. You like us, you came from humble beginnings. Let's say, you know, humble beginnings. But when you first got to the league, you first got that bag. What did you do to treat yourself? Did you know, you I mean, you older now, you retire, you can look back and say that probably wasn't the best decision. But at the time, I appreciated the hell out of it, enjoyed the hell out of that decision. What did you do when you got the bag? So first thing I did, well, I'm on my house, but first thing I did for me right. was – I got a, a car. I got an SUV. I got a, I went and got a Navigator. Okay. I thought this thing was the baddest thing ever. Looking back now, now that I think about it, it was atrocious. It was like, what did you do? It was like, what did you like, do? Like, it was like, it changed colors from the top to the bottom. You know. The flop. He did the uh, flip. <laughs> man. But, you had the chameleon joint? Well, were you going? It wasn't chameleon. It wasn't chameleon. It was like silver. It's and then like changed to like darker gray down at the bottom. I didn't you do that green. I didn't do the green paint. Yeah, D wheel in that. You had D wheel in the seats and all that. So I didn't even get that far. Let me tell you why. So I bought <laughs> this truck, right? This SUV, right? In Texas. Okay. This is before the draft. Right. I'm in, I'm in Houston. I'm driving, you know, back and forth to Dallas, Houston. I get drafted by Utah. I ship it out to Utah. This is my first time ever shipping a car. I ain't never did this shit before. So I loaded up all, like, when we were at the uh, the rookie symposium and the rookie photo shoot, all that. I had all my memorabilia. I had signed by everybody. You know what I'm saying? I had all that stuff. I put it in the back. I didn't ship it in clothes, right? Oh, I hear where this is going. It gets, to, it gets to, to Utah. I'm about to pull all my stuff out. I go in there. It's empty. And there's nothing broken. There's no windows broken. So it had to be the driver. But... It also says on the contract they're not responsible for anything on the inside of the car. There wow. you have it. Oh. Wow. So that's not, the worst, that's not the worst part, though. So all this happens. All this happens, right? So my house in Utah is up on the – it's like when you're in Salt Lake, it's looking over, like, downtown. It's like the last row yeah. of houses before you turn the corner of the mountain. Yeah. So it's uphill. So winter hits, right? And I'm going to get up this hill, and it's snowing. And I'm, I can't get up the hill. I'm like, why can't I get this a damn SUV? Why can't I get up the hill? Man, it's two-wheel drive, man. I didn't even know it. <laughs> I thought all SUVs was all-wheel drive. I don't want no bitch in that. I don't know no bitch. You don't know he was with that shit? <laughs> on a two-wheel drive uh, navigator. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That is crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> so that's why you look back on that purchase and say that was just all bad. Because right? I had to get rid of it. The next day I went down and bought a G-Wagon. Oh. oh. Okay. That was perfect. That's upgrade, you know, it's all great. <laughs> so when you was coming up, who's them guys that you was like, man, I want to be like that person? AI earlier heard J Kid, like the main two was GP and Kid, you know, because they were bigger point guards. You know, they weren't the fastest, they weren't the quickest. They <laughs> yeah, boys. GP was kind of fast. 
their games kind of resonated with mine. You know, everybody wanted to be AI back then, though. You know, right. You just couldn't do it. Everybody can't be AI. <laughs> um, you know, but even before them, because like I said, I was a student in the game, so I, you know, I watched, I watched Magic, I watched John, um, man, Steph, Steph, Steve, Steve Francis, franchise boy, Steve franchise was a problem. BD, BD, I was a big BD fan. Yeah, um, man, I like, I like watching all the big guards. I, 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 let, let me ask you this. Start, bench, cut. Oh, uh, here we go. Let's go. Gilbert Arenas, mm-hmm. Baron Davis, mm-hmm. and Steve Francis. Mm. We talk, and we're talking about all in their primes. All prime. It's our era. These dudes we played against and all that. You got you 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 came in as a young boy we're against about, we talking about, We're talking about offense only? Everything, total package. Whatever you guys see, all of them was all of them was held on wheels wow. and they primed every last one of them. Man, I might have to start Asia Zero. Ooh. That man's a problem, bro. A serious he problem. A, like he would have stayed healthy. Oh my gosh, you might have been talking about him as one of the best to ever do it. Record books, yeah. Man, people don't realize. Man gave me well, he gave me fifty, but it was a lot of it was on D Fish. <laughs> remember that, oh, remember the that game, game that he had on the uh, when he hit yeah, shot on the. On the uh, on the game, yeah, turn around, it was on me. Yeah, <laughs> that was on me. Oh, <laughs> 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 hand all up in his face. Hey, this is great, great. I remember that when you said it, like, yeah. <laughs> God, damn, man, my hand was all in his shit. Hey, he walking off. <laughs> I see it. I see it now. Stevie franchise was a beast. Damn, man, you gonna make me cut BD? You gonna make me cut my board? I can't do it. What you gonna do? You gonna start GA? You gonna bench franchise? You gonna cut BD? I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, I love you, bro. Hey. Uh, <sighs> That's it? No, we gonna, we gonna bench BD. We gonna cut Stevie. All right, well, I got, I got a, a today's one for you, you know, since you're an OG today, now. Today, okay. for the, for the oh, yeah, get used to that now. You are, you are OG now. That's your new OG, OG now. You are all OGs <laughs> now. Just, just, he was trying to fight it. He didn't want to let it marinate and get up in his spirit, but now he didn't let He didn't got called it too many times, but he just had to just live with it. Yep. Uh, yep. So, bitch cut. Uh, Kyrie, mm-hmm. Dame, Steph, Steph Curry. Ooh. Who, Start, I'm gonna start. Good. I'm gonna start Steph. I'm gonna bench Dane. I'm gonna cut Ree. Mm, that was real easy. Well, can we get a little Here's elaboration? Not, on that? And, and I have these conversations a lot. That's why I can. That's why I can. I can like say <laughs> that one so quickly. And it ain't, it ain't that easy. Yeah. Trust me. It ain't that easy. Yeah. I think Kyrie's the most talented out of all of them. Maybe, but Steph is just a problem. Like, and you can shoot like that. And then Dame, I'm just a fan. I just, I just love Dame's game and, and his demeanor and his, his everything. I just, like, I just, like, I just like him as a person. <laughs> I got a good one. A start bench cut. This is like of the guys who would have been crazier if they never got hurt. I already know he gonna say. G Hill. Yep. Penny. Yep. T Mac. And T Mac. All like penny, penny start. 
Ooh, okay. He's saying Penny would have been the one out of the. Ooh, okay. G Hill. Yeah. You gonna cut the Mac? Oh, that's because really. I might have had to start T Mac. Mm-hmm. I'll start back too. Penny <laughs> and then G Hill. But I respect it. You can't go wrong with T-Mac couldn't get my name right when we played him in the playoffs. So he he holds a uh, special place. Who did? T-Mac. He, he kept calling me Duran in the playoffs. Oh, I, should let it, it, I should let it go. It was 2006. There you have it. <laughs> there you have it. There was a dispute before we got on. Like, is it Dan or Duran? I said, man, I call him D-Will. I don't even <laughs> have to work, worry about all that. Look, I bypassed all that. But he just settled it. It is very not Duran. I, I know you, you've been watching today's game, and you see how it kind of changed and how it sped up a little bit more. Yeah. What do you think about, like, the point guards these days? Everybody got one. So how, how do you think about the era of the point guard now? Strong. Honestly, when I feel like in my prime, I felt like the point guard position was tough. That's what people always ask me. Like, it was like no nights off. Yeah. It was no yeah. nights off. Even, like, the guys who weren't really the superstars – could still give you just work. Man, if you didn't, you thought you had a night off, then you were wrong. But now, I feel like every damn near every team got a superstar point guard. This is what it feel like, at least. Yep. That's what it feels like. Somebody with the shit. They're all skilled. They can all shoot. There's not many point guards that can't shoot anymore. No, nah, they come now. The thing is, I could do everything. That's the the new name they coming in. <laughs> and I was I was talking to somebody the other day about when Kyle Lowry and and Mike Conley were in Memphis together. Well, I was there. I used to bat. I would not guard them. I was in the, in the middle behind the free throw line with both of them. You hardly do that to none of these guys, yeah, T-Day. I couldn't do that to them now. Then both of them are cash. It's cash money. Yeah, obviously, I mean, you know, obviously, but that just shows you how the time is changed. Like that's yeah. how most vets do. Once they get certain things, like they're gonna be serviceable or just be able to shoot it. But like yeah. these dudes walking in the double range rows. Yeah. Yeah. I'm around all these boys. I could cross you. I could yeah. dunk on you. And I shoot it, float it, lay it, do whatever you want me to do, however you want me to do it. And then I'm like, man, He's you watch, going, you watch all this life. You see these little dudes just coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, coming like, yo, what? Like jumping. Well, they all they all still they all see stuff. Man, look. Change the game. Say what they want about all of the base. But the one thing they have to give him his flowers on, he changed the entire game. He made it for real change, but now I want to pull up, be just two steps inside half court and, like, hit the three from deep and be able to be outside. Like, now they feel like they the feature. <laughs> they the, the little guard say, I could be a star now because of what he doing. He ain't got, he ain't dunking on nobody. He out here pop-bopping everybody. <laughs> yep. John Morant's the next what? one, though. Hey, young that, boy. That, that, young fella, that young fella can ball. Hey, listen, he one of my favorite young ones to watch, but he's special, and he ain't scared of the moment for nothing at all. I wanted to ask you about Kobe Bryant, like, because you play so many games every year against the Lakers and Kobe Bryant, meet them in the playoffs, different situations. How was it for you to have them challenges in them games against Kobe? Man, I feel like he's personally responsible for me not having a championship. I feel like I feel like there was a couple teams in the in the East a couple of those years that we lost to them. We lost, I think, three years in a row. I don't think there was anybody in the East that could have beat us in a seven-game series. But because of that man, didn't get a chance. Didn't even didn't even didn't even come to that. We didn't even get to the Western Conference Finals. But uh, a special man, man. He uh, 
the closest thing to Jordan, I think, that there ever will be with his passion on both ends of the floor, his competitiveness, just a killer, a savage, hands down. How do you feel and how do you view the Utah Jazz and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy and them guys, what they were doing in the type of show that Donovan put on versus Jamal Murray in that playoffs. I know you got a deep affinity for the Jazz. So what do you think of the current team and what they're doing with those guys? I think, number one, the, the bubble, when it, when they had the idea, I was like, there's no way this thing's going to work. I was like, they're going to get out there for like two weeks. Let me both. Everybody going to have corona, and then they're going to have to send everybody home. I was super impressed to not only have the season, but now one single right. case. That was unbelievable. Michelle Roberts, Adam Silver, and any and everybody else that had anything to do with it, and all of the people that were down there. So, I mean, obviously, people being down here, it was, it was a difficult scenario. But, I mean, for them to pull it off like that was... But then for all the players that stayed and did it, I mean, that's that's tough to be away from your families for that long, to make that sacrifice, especially the Lakers in the heat, what, three, four months without seeing their families. So, you know, a lot of respect to them, a lot of respect to the NBA for being able to put that, put that on. I mean, that's incredible during this climate. And then as far as the Jazz, I mean, Donovan's, he's another one that's, that's special. I mean, he reminds me of D-Wade. Maybe D-Wade. Maybe D-Wade. I thought he was like 6'5". And I, I seen him at the game. I went to a Jazz game. I'm like, bro, I'm like, it's taller than you right now. What <laughs> plays elevated above Man, that. His bounce is stupid if he's 6'2". Six, six <laughs> But uh, no, his game is 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 improving. You can see it just proving. You see that confidence, that confidence you talk about. He's got it, you know. And so it's about just putting the right people around him. I think, you know, I think they got a solid team. I think Gobert's solid. They got some good pieces, but I think especially with these these super teams, I think they need one more, one more piece, you know, one yeah. more star, one more, one more go getter. Yeah, they definitely look good. I think Mike Conley, if he get a little bit more time down there to kind of figure out his, where he needs to fit in there. Mike got to be more aggressive. I feel like he defers, which, I mean, it's hard not to when you got a player like that. Yeah, you know, I, I, he came in trying to make sure that the kid was comfortable. And yeah. Next year, I think he'll be ready to go. Because, like, when Mike was in Memphis, like, yeah. you know, T.A. was the two-guard. You know, it was never like a two-guard who was out there scoring 25 a game, 30 a game. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's a different when you don't got the ball in your hands as much to be as yeah. effective. You know, your rhythm's a little off. You don't have that same that same feel, you know, for the game. What did you yeah. think when you were watching that as you watched that that duel between him and Murray? I mean, I, I know everybody, like, like, I was sitting there just and simply amazed by the way both of them were just going. It was like a for real AAU game both every time. You know what also I was thinking? Ain't nobody playing no damn defense in this bubble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they played that quickly. They played that quickly. It was no DB in play, boy. But that being, said, 50, that being said, 50 is 50. You still got to put that thing in the hole 50 times. Not 50 yeah. times, but you know what I mean? Hey, put them in the book. Hey, it's game. Make sure you got them in the book. <laughs> That's, it was crazy. Seeing them go back and forth like that. Jamal's might have been more impressive because they came back. In that series, and, and one, one, yeah, on his on his fifty point games, yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. yeah. that is true. Yeah, one of my guys that played with y'all, man, I used to love watching him play. AK forty seven, Andre Karolinko. Like, how was that to play with 
AK. Oldest nicknames ever. He's such a good dude, man. He's just one of the players who just he didn't really need the ball to be effective. He was gonna that ball. He found that ball. Yeah, yeah. Play defense. His club stat sheet. Never stop moving. I hated going yeah. to Never stop moving. The only thing is he, he could have found a consistent jumper. I was about to say, I could care less about him on the offensive end. He was my worst defensive matchup of, well, me being on offense and him defending me. Him and Tayshaun Prince was the worst matchups of my entire career. My entire (laughs) career. Those two long in there. You know me, I'm posting up, getting but Like, neither one of them was strong enough to stop me. But I could, ah, I could do all of that. They just wait. They just wait. As soon as I go up, extend. I'm longer than you, young fella. I'm like, look, look, I'm longer than you. We not young fella. We the same age. But like, I'm look. I, I hated them too. If I had a good game against either one of them, I was good. I was good for a long time because they was tough for me to get off on. No lie. Nah, he was he was tough man on the defensive end. Blocks, rebounds, steals. Who in the NBA now that you kind of see flashes with you? Hmm. He's a little smaller than me, but uh, no, I ain't gonna say that because people say he looks like me too. Van Fleet. Van <laughs> <Ben> Fleet. <laughs> That's my he's guy. Got that, oh, he's, got that, he's got that shiftiness, man. He's got that, you know, he, he's got that change of direction. I, I kind of see. Tough as hell, too. So I, think, I, I think he'd be one of them. And he got that Illinois right to left. <laughs> yep. That's a wrap, man. That was love. We appreciate you pulling up on us, D-Will. Y'all check it out, man. This was a special one. We appreciate you, D. Appreciate y'all having me, man. Players Tribute.com